0: Hello my fan friends, welcome to another episode of Rahalastaba this week with the monumental and legendary American script writer Nell If you don't know her name, you have definitely laughed at some of her jokes. This book, Just the Funny Parts, is amazing and we have 20 copies of this to give away to 20 eager beavers. Uh, if you would like a free copy of Just the Funny Parts, please email herring1967 at gmail.com with your address so I can post it to you and the first 20 people who answer this question correctly and spell it correctly will get a book. If you don't hear from me uh, and you don't get a book, you were too late. That's basically the answer. I will have put it in the bin, in a big burning bin. Um, please answer this question. For which legendary comedian slash actor did Nell write a spec script that got her on her way to being a TV scriptwriter? Must be spelled correctly. Check it carefully. You're not Chris Evans, not that one. Make sure you get the name spelt right. First 20 answers that are correct will win a fantastic copy of this book. I'll probably chuck in some other stuff for you as well. I'm a nice guy. I'm paying the postage. What can I say? I have bought the books as well. I'm a great guy. Anyway, I hope you uh, are enjoying my moustache. By the time you see this, it should be a little bit better than this. I'm recording this a couple of weeks before. Um, and uh, if you would like to donate to my Movember campaign, please head to rahalastapa.co.uk slash Movember with a little ma. Uh, or you can subscribe as a badger at gofaststrike.com slash badges and all November badge money will go to Movember. Or you can subscribe on Twitch, twitch.tv slash rkherring. If you're with Amazon Prime, that is absolutely free. You can give £3.50 for nothing. uh, And that money from November will go to Movember also. Uh, Worth checking out the Twitch channel. Ali and Herring's Twitch are fun. A lot of fun. It's on YouTube if you want to catch up. It's also a podcast. I'm doing snooker and I'm doing stone clearing occasionally as well. So come and join the fun. uh, And uh, just subscribe. Not subscribe, just follow me on there. And uh, you'll get notifications whenever I am going live. Right, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy the ball with Nels Gavell. Thank you, <music> ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome a man whose book is out tomorrow. It's Richard Herring. Hello, welcome to Richard Herring's lockdown second time podcast. It's I told you it was coming, and here it is. Uh, though I was hanging out with the fifty thousand people who voted for Kanye West today. Uh, they didn't know what the fuck was going on or what anything was called, to be fair. They didn't know where up from down. But one bloke I spoke to had written in Rahalastapa. So there we go. It's all good. Yes, my book is... uh, I'll go straight to the book. It's out. Um, It's... uh, I saw it in the wild just before the lockdown. My publication date was the 5th of November and lockdown starts on the 5th of November. So I thought I wouldn't get the pleasure of seeing my book in an actual shop, at least for a month. But... uh, There was one in Waterstones in Hitchin, and there it is. Uh, It looks like it's not on its own pile. There was one copy. uh, I couldn't find one anywhere else. It looks like someone had picked it up and thought, nah, and then just thrown it on the pile of of the books that people have paid to put on the table. But that's fine by me. That's still on the table, and it still counts. So you can buy that now, and it will be with you tomorrow, if you're very lucky. So um, what's been going on? Um, Well, uh, Biden-Trump. Uh, as we record, is uh, undecided. It's looking like it's edging towards Biden. Last night, I didn't want to go to sleep because every time in 2016 that I went to sleep, it seemed like one thing was going to happen. And then when I woke up, something terrible had happened. We'd entered the dark timeline. Um, this time I woke up and Biden was quite a long way ahead. And then within about the half an hour, Trump had caught up. So it's still, I, th- I, th- I still think it's me sleeping that is causing the problem. I will try not to sleep. Ever again during any of these things, and fingers crossed, uh, we get there. Uh, a lot of uh, um, a lot of controversy this week on Taskmaster. I'm on Taskmaster. I don't know if I've mentioned it. Channel Four, nine o'clock uh, on Thursdays. Uh, I I had to do a film where I was upside down, uh, and I thought I did a pretty good job. There's me on a ceiling. That is me upside down. Very good special effects. No one could work out how the light bulb is that is so straight and wonderful. Um, but Greg Davis gave me one point and it still hurts. And if that becomes crucial at the end of the series, I tell you, I've, I've, what I've decided to do, I'm just declaring myself the winner of Taskmaster now, even though I'm slightly behind and I'm not letting Channel 4 show any of the other episodes. And if they do, I'm going to take them to the Supreme Court, which I've loaded with Richard Herring fans. So it's going to be fine. <laughs> they love, they love for to own the Supreme Court. Uh and I have been last bit of stand-up. I've been watching. Um, I've been catching up on Star Wars with my daughter, my five-year-old daughter. She's watching it for the first time. Actually, for episodes two and three, I'm watching it for the first time. I never bothered after the disappointment of episode one. I mean, you know, that's the fifth, you know what I'm talking about, the fourth one. Um, but uh my problems with the resent, revenge of the Sith uh were um oh no, I picked up the wrong paper. There it is, that's good. Um, it was uh in the scene where um the emperor appears as a hologram to the separatist leaders uh, and he says very po- pointedly during that he says darth vader will take care of you but he doesn't he does it in such a way that it clearly means that darth vader is going to kill them i said to myself so darth vader is going to kill them then it, the way he i know this isn't very topical satire but <laughs> the way he says well, darth vader will take care of you it, it they, they should have 100% replied why did you say that in that weird way, Emperor? I, I didn't. Oh, you did? There those air quotes all over that sentence. Is Darth Vader going to kill us? No. You're even saying no sarcastically. Jesus, why were you prepared to blow your entire plan for the sake of making an actually pretty lame joke? I mean, get behind it. You can deliver it without lacing it in irony. And believe me, as we're being slaughtered, we'd be thinking, oh, oh. When he said, take care of us, he meant take care of us. But now, because of your assistance on making a Dr. Star rubbish joke, we're bolting the doors and not letting that cunt in. You're a rubbish, evil emperor. emperor so that is my... Maybe too late. Maybe may be too late with the Revenge of the Sith material, but I've just watched it for the first time. Why does Obi-Wan Kenobi um, not kill Darth Vader when he's down or burnt? There's some spoilers here if you haven't seen it. It just it seems cruel. He's burnt up and you should just put him out of his misery. I've got a lot. Tr- I've got a lot of problems with the film. It's all I'm saying, and it, I'm dis- it's, dis- it's disgraceful. Anyway, n- enough of that. Enough of my hilarious half-cobbled together stand-up. Uh, my guest this week, very excited, uh, come in. It's NY meets NH, New York meets North Hertfordshire, which is n- not quite as cool. Uh, to be fair, <laughs> uh, let's pretend North Hertfordshire is a very cool place to be. Uh, my guest this week is probably best known for writing the sitcom Three Girls and a Genie that uh, the pilot was not picked up. Will you please welcome the fantastic <laughs> Nell Scavell, ladies and gentlemen. Here she is. How Hello. are you doing? Hello. Lovely to see you. Very glamorous for three o'clock in the afternoon. A little sparkly. <laughs> it's lovely. You look fantastic. Um that you've done, you've written so many amazing things, and I'm sorry, it's just my hilarious joke that I do at the start of every episode. But I'm quite intrigued by Three Girls and a Genie. I know you liked the sitcom I Dream of Genie. Yes, and I and I wonder what I like about you. But we'll get to is you do list everything you've ever written in the back, and uh, some things successful, something's not. Uh, and did was Three Girls and a Genie a, a good concept? Do you were you proud of it?
1: I was. Do you remember was, it? We're proud of all our children. Yeah. Um, and I do think Wish Fulfillment is always a great source for comedy and drama. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so.
0: There was three girls and they live in a, in a flat. I'm just, I'm very, I'm, I'm writing a sitcom. Well, I, 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 again, I've written a pilot of it and it's been turned down by the TV, but I'm trying to put it together myself uh but it is it has got a sort of genie in it but it's about alternate universes so it's a sort of sci-fi uh sitcom where the the, the genie can take you to different universes where you know a, a, everything happens so it's a similar you know it's that similar concept of someone who can make your dreams or your nightmares come true uh is that is that why were there three well i just want to know about them. let's talk about three girls and a genie for the entire what were the three who were the three girls how did they meet a genie
1: I, they, um, they were college students and they, good. they had to um, decorate their dorm and one had found this uh, lamp in the thrift store and thought it was, um, uh, it would be a good addition. And if I remember, it was sort of that classic, one was rich and yeah. one was poor and one was, I don't know, middle-class. I don't I yeah. yeah. And. Uh, I I don't remember much. I mean, it is no. interesting though that you know, probably Sabrina the Teenage Witch yeah. is my I created that show and it, it was a big hit, and so I was kind of in the right area.
0: Yeah, but well, I right like that. Time. Well, uh, Sabrina has got is a very subversive and, and funny. I mean, it was out here as a sort of kid show, and I suppose it was a sort of teenagers, young person show, but it was a very it had a very adult sensibility behind it as well and it was a very it was I think you could be fooled into thinking oh well that's something and then when you watched it it was a fairly subversive comedy show right
1: it was and and I think you know we did one episode where there were truth sprinkles Sabrina wants to know if the boy she likes likes her so her aunt gives her truth sprinkles and they're all making bunt cakes in home economics, and she puts the true sprinkles on. And of course, someone, she picks up her her shaker and puts them on all the different bunt cakes so that everyone in the entire school is now telling the truth. And um, I wanted to be honest, it was a kid's show, but I really wanted to portray the real world. And so the moral of that story was not we should tell the truth all the time, but wouldn't the world be a horrible place if everyone <laughs> yeah. told the truth
0: all the time? Which is good because I think, again, in the 90s, there was a lot of, uh, yeah. most American, especially <laughs> kids' TV shows, would end with that horrible cloying message or sometimes all the way through a horrible kind of cloying. Like you'd get a, you'd sometimes get a serious episodes of Different Strokes, wouldn't you, where they would discuss something very, <laughs> very, very... Dark, but also there was always like a message at the end of those Saved by the Bell, even those sort of things. So when you're up against Saved by the Bell, I mean, this was Chekhov compared to Saved by the Bell,
1: right? (laughs) Well, it's why The Simpsons, I think, was so enticing. I mean, it blew my mind the first time I saw The Simpsons, and I remember the very first episode, Homer's taking the family to Mr. Burns' mansion for a company picnic, And the kids go running off and Homer screaming after them, be normal. (laughs) And I just thought it was the funniest thing because sitcoms just didn't have that kind of edge. You know, if you were a father, you were going to give good advice and you were going to hug your kid and you were going to be Bill Cosby, which turned out (laughs) so great. Um, But The Simpsons had it right. For any of us who now have children, Like screaming be normal is... yes. Way well, closer uh, to the
0: truth the curse of the writer is that people obviously are unaware of of us and you you know they but if you tell people what you've done so mention the simpsons you wrote what a, a, an episode of the simpsons that i think everyone will remember and be able to quote bits off my heart there's okay. one of my absolute favorite bits in in this episode which is the blowfish one one fish two fish blowfish bluefish where homer eats some blowfish that he thinks is poisoned and has to make the last 24 hours of his life count.
1: Well, what's Uh, amazing is it was early enough. It was the second um, season of the show. And one of the reasons um, they liked this pitch was it allowed us to get to know Homer better because the question was, what would you do if you knew you had 24 hours to live? Or as it turns out, 22 hours because the doctor keeps him waiting (laughs) for two hours in the waiting room. But, uh, and now that the show's been on 30 years, it's kind of unthinkable that we wouldn't know everything about Homer.
0: Sure. But way, it was all... I wrote
1: a new episode that's going to happen. I end. heard.
0: Yeah, so yeah. there's a new episode coming. So this is your second episode, like 20, 30 years apart. 30 years <laughs> apart,
1: right? they told me I now hold the um... – the record for the longest amount of time between writing episodes. So I'm quite proud of that. Um, Sorry,
0: not sorry. It's called, is it? So I I have a feeling this is, is it going to uh, let, let me get, it's Lisa is is Lisa going to be at the center of this one and it's going to, it's going to feature her her standing up for women's rights.
1: It's more complicated than that. (laughs) They did come to me because I had just gone through, um, you know, an experience where I received an apology from David Letterman. I don't know. Do people in England know?
0: They probably don't. They probably, they might know this story. Tell this story for us. Cause I think, I think that's, yeah. We, well, we, we might know need who to.
1: Letterman, like he's. Yes. Okay. So. We um, know who
0: Letterman is. We know, we know who Letterman is. <sighs>
1: It's a very long story.
0: It is a very long story, but basically, but and you well, I'll, have to I'll, read
1: my book to get the read whole the book.
0: Here is the book. It's absolutely fantastic, and if you're a writer, especially, it will make you feel a lot better. But if you're a comedy fan, it's it's a great look at the way uh, things work. But yes, you you revealed how there was a sort of a, a toxic atmosphere at Letterman, just in that he was the boss and he was, and well, I think people know that he he admitted that he was sleeping with yes. his yeah. employees, which uh, you know.
1: But it went beyond that. There were, and he was on the air for over 30 years and they never hired a single writer of color. I believe there, in 30 years, there were only nine women and well over a hundred men. And those nine women, some of them never lasted more than six weeks. And, you know, it was, it was a very, you know, and the show went off the air in what, twenty sixteen? Twenty fifteen? It's not like this we're talking about the dark ages. So no, no. um uh, you know, it wasn't on the like the DuPont network in the fifties. So <laughs> uh, anyway, so I, I um spoke about You've been out at the forefront this. of the,
0: the of the check, you know, of the change in terms of making people aware of you know, every of, of writers' rooms not being uh, being fair and and other things that we are more <laughs> more It aware just makes of, it
1: but. funnier when you have yeah. you know more of d- points of view and yeah.
0: No, I agree. I've done. i mean, you know I do panel shows, and the radio ones tend to have a balance and uh, of sexes, and it's much better. And I did a writers' room, which is my first time I've done one. I helped. The female cause, because I got sacked for not being good enough. Uh, but it was it was fifty-fifty male. Male and women, male, male and female. Was, and it was uh Wait, being a mediocre
1: brilliant. male is not good enough anymore. <laughs>
0: so I was sacked, I was thrown off and I was I said, That's ladies, that's for you. That's one for that's one for the ladies. That's what I said as I as I left as I left. No, they just rung me up and told me they weren't using my script and didn't invite me back.
1: But I do want to be clear like I think women and men can write for any gender. Sure. I just think you bring different experiences to the table. And I oh. tell the story in my book about being on the show called Warehouse 13. I don't yeah. know if you got it and
0: in... I don't think we did get Warehouse 13, it's but really it's a good sort of...
1: show. Look yeah. look it up and um it was on the Sci-Fi network. I like I write a lot of genre. I love Black Mirror. I would love to write for Black Mirror. And, um, you know, in the show, I I did an episode where one of the main characters, the, the female, becomes magically pregnant. And I was getting notes on a call from eight different people. We had the studio. We had the network. And I realized I was the only one who had ever been pregnant. Right. And so yes. one of them commented I had this uh, a running joke about because when I was pregnant, you get this very acute sense of smell. Um and he was like, Is that really a thing? <laughs> Are you making that up? <laughs> so Yeah, well it is.
0: Yeah, it's it's um yeah, it's crazy when you look and it. even here in the UK and even like you say, ten five ten years ago you'd go into a room of all university educated white men, middle-class, and it was the same sort of guys. And so, yeah, obviously it makes drama and comedy more interesting to have shared experiences. But uh, You mean that's yes. half
1: the population,
0: yeah. Yeah, well, and, you know, and and also different types of people. That's what it just sort of I – and mean, I think in the, in the UK, stand-up comedy kind of all morphed around white men for much too much in the 90s, and then now it's, you know, we're getting a lot more different voices and – i think america's been better for that in terms of stand up in terms of most you know certainly for i mean different ethnicities yeah. maybe not for for females but but certainly for in the last 5 or 10 years i think n- nearly all the good stand ups who come through in the uk have been have been women and that's cuz you know it's just a slightly nicer <laughs> environment for them they've been welcome but there we go yes uh, but what i love about the book are many things i mean there's lots of great advice for writers which you'll get to but it is that bit at the back where you it just makes you, you know. I, I've written loads of scripts, and a few of them have been made. Uh, but you've written, as I say, these massively successful scripts. Just that—that's the Simpsons bit. I was going to quote from that episode, which, I, I believe you wrote this line because obviously there is a team working on these shows in America. But it's when Homer goes, goes to is for the kids are in bed, and he's going goodbye, Maggie. You're so sweet, uh, Lisa. I'm. You've made me proud, Bart. I love your sheets. That is one of the, that's one of the classic Simpsons lines. I think it's one of the top 10 episodes of the Simpsons, isn't it? And when it's, when it's voted. So they should have had you back before 30 years, Uh, but but you give you, you list everything you've done and you know, and there's many, many of these things didn't get beyond pilot, not piloted or piloted and not made. And that's the life of a writer, isn't it? I think this, this is what this book shows that even if you have, you've had early success, and you've had continued success through your life. You've run your own shows. You've done worked in lots of different genres, and yet still you can't be well, the Lean In thing, where you wrote Lean In with, which is this huge book with the Sheryl uh, Sandberg. I,
1: yeah, I helped Sheryl Sandberg write that,
0: and uh, that was a huge. The book was a huge success. Then it says the film Lean In didn't get <laughs> didn't get commissioned. You oh, that was such
1: a good script. That one. <laughs> that one hurt. Yeah, really hurt.
0: Which of all these shows that didn't get made and films that didn't get made would you most like to to see get made? Is there is there a favorite? Script?
1: Oh, I, absolutely, the Lean In movie. We did yeah. a table read with Kristen Bell, who right. was fantastic, and um, Bradley Whitford was there too. I'm trying to remember who else. There were some really great people, and it was delightful. And I will never understand we literally we went back lots of big laughs and we went back to the executive's office and uh they looked at me and said well obviously we're not going to make it (laughs) 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 what i did you just see so i don't know it's such a how does that not get
0: that you know that's just astonishing how does something you just look at that and go well the if the book's been that big a smash." Why, did, why didn't Facebook just make it? Why didn't Facebook just give you the money and make it themselves?
1: <laughs> um, well, they, they were not in the content business at the time. Okay. Yeah. But you know what? You're, you're, the line I think of most often in Hollywood comes from Elvis Costello. And it's, I used to be disgusted. Now I try to be amused. And that's <laughs> gotten me through so much.
0: Yeah. Well that's it cuz I I just through the naughties and the uh, probably the last 10 15 years I was getting you know it's love to get commissioned to write scripts and get I was getting paid to write scripts but every time you know you were getting not the 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 people in charge would change just as you had to hand it in so you were scuffered, or it just wouldn't get there. And now you put so much into a script, right? Do you feel that? I mean, I feel like it feels, and I have babies now, and I always just say it feels like babies. It's not the same, but the emotional investment in it is huge, and you put a lot of time and effort into it and made it as good as you can. And then for it just to be sort of stamped on is it's psychologically very hard to recover from that isn't it so how is that you just are you able to brush it off and move on to the next thing I mean clearly you are because you write so much
1: well I I mean I talk a lot in the book about how I sort of learn not to get too invested and and not to you know to kind of numb it down so that the highs aren't high and the lows aren't low and and you just kind of approach it professionally. I, I don't think there's wasted scripts. I learn something every time I write oh. a script. So I'm, I never feel like I wasted my time or, um, you know, if you're getting paid, then you're like, well, I knew the odds going in. Uh, but I do, um, you know, I like writing. So that makes it a lot easier
0: yeah i mean i sort of i do when it's going well and i, I you're so prolific i find i find it um you know i just f- i find i get disheartened and i think it's partly down to possibly the difference between the u k and u s systems which i'm quite interested in in that the u s sitcoms are are often written by a team you'll be brought a lot of these things you've been brought in to write an episode or to come and help just punch up other people's scripts or you'll write a script one script and other people will punch it up. Do you think that that I'm very good when there's a deadline and I can write very quickly. And I've written I wrote a sitcom that I had to basically write an episode a week on my own. And and then it was made. I oh, don't that make
1: you a good writer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it was pretty good, although It burnt me out for a bit. Uh, and also I earned some money, so I, I didn't feel the impact, the need to work so hard. But is do you think that that says do you think because as a UK writer, it's it's a lot of sitting on your own just trying to get stuff done, is how much of your life is sitting on your own, trying to get stuff done, and how much of it is in a room full of people sort of knocking stuff back and forth?
1: Um, you know, you <laughs> the grass is always greener. So when, when you're in a room, you think, oh, I just want to be off writing my own thing. And when you're off writing your own thing, you're like, oh, this would be so much more fun if I were in a room. Um, yeah. And I actually, so I like bouncing between both, because it really does make me appreciate yeah what's good about the other situation
0: yeah Uh, i mean you find it quite i think you find it quite easy to write i mean i've heard you on one of the other podcasts i was listening saying you know it's not writing a sitcom it's only half an hour 20 minutes it's not that it's not that hard and people take six months writing a a sitcom episode and how how quickly can you generally write a sitcom episode once something's up and running
1: oh you know in a weekend if i have to Yeah. yeah yeah But I talk about in the book how there are three elements to every room. There are the people, the product, and the process. So the people is you know who you're working for, what the atmosphere is like. Are you working, um, you know, with with people who respect you, who are um, uh, just nice to hang out with. The sure. the processes are the hours long. Are they? F- is a studio throwing out scripts. Um, and then the product is, you know, is it a show you're proud of? Is it, is it monk or the Simpsons or, or is it a show like NCIS or charmed, which people really liked, but it was yeah. not my favorite show I worked on. Okay. Um, <laughs> And the truth is when you look at when I went back while writing my book and looked at people, product and process, most shows I worked on had one. Yeah. I felt I was lucky when I had two and there were only two shows I'd ever worked on that had all three where I was really happy and proud of all three.
0: Which were there? Which which two were there? So, Sabrina, I'm guessing?
1: Sabrina, yeah. When I was yeah. the boss, I happened yeah. <laughs> to be very happy. And then uh, Murphy Brown, which was okay, yeah. a real delight. And the cast was very professional. And interestingly, so that was a long time ago, um, that writing room, we're still all friends. Right. And it was also the first time I was in a writer's room with um, other women. And it was okay. a it was a 40 60 split one of one of the executive producers was a woman and i think it actually made it a more enjoyable experience for everyone that it sure. it resembled the real world more than some of these kind of locker room shows
0: yeah because i guess some of those rooms if if it gets competitive or sometimes a personality clash can be great for right like, writing comedy but I guess if you're there for a year working on a, a sitcom and come back every week, that that personality clash becomes a bit a bit much to bear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if, if it's the room of you, but yeah, uh, I was almost, you know,
1: always there's always like the asshole. Almost yeah. always there's one person who you go, oh, if it just weren't for that person. This would be so good. And, and that's what
0: they did on my sick. They got, they yeah. got rid of the asshole on my one. You, so that that was, yeah, they took me out. And then I think since then it's been just running so smoothly.
1: I did once write a movie <laughs> that was all about, a, it was about a man who gets promoted. Um, and he has to fire a bunch of people, and his whole arc is him realizing when did I become the asshole?
0: <laughs> but well, they didn't make men, that one either. More men need to realize that. More they, if they That's, what my, well, that's women what my book's too. That's I what mean, if you
1: read. if you're good at your job, eventually you do become the asshole.
0: Sure, I suppose. I suppose. I, well, I think. It doesn't seem to me I'm not, admittedly i mainly know you from reading a book that you've written about yourself but you don't seem to you don't, you seem to be a very grounded uh, and interesting person and you know I think I you don't seem to be that you just I don't think you're an arsehole, though you know hey, you may I have left those out this
1: this is a little bit of a segue but you'll understand what got me here so it's it's hard to write a memoir and certainly when you're a woman and you sort of grow up like nobody wants to hear your voice. And I was always kind of the little brown mouse in the corner. It would be hard. And, and I'd hit days when I'd be like, I don't know why I'm writing this. Does anyone care? And then I would remember that Christopher Hitchens was the same age as me when he wrote his memoir. <laughs> right. And I was like, I bet he had never had a moment of self-doubt. <laughs> I bet he never took a second to wonder if people wouldn't be fascinated with his life, and and that would propel me forward.
0: Good. Well, I'm glad it did because it's honestly. I mean, I know it's been out for a couple of years, but it's. I would advise everyone to get it if you're a comedy fan, which people watching this will be. Uh, if you're a comedy writer, you definitely need it. It's just it's full of good advice. There's some good stuff. That, well, let's talk about uh, Ga- the Gary Shandling show, which it like astonishingly. I mean, this is what I find it. You basically asked to write a Simpson script, and you were allowed to do it. And I know it was early on, but yeah. that was sort of crazy. But you, the, this was your first sitcom script. You just on spec wrote an episode of the Gary Sandling Show, which was uh, his first TV show before Larry Sanders, which went on to be more better known. But yeah. absolutely, that I think Larry Sanders is up there as possibly the best ever sitcom. But I, I also agree. loved, I, I also loved the Gary Sandling Show, which was again a literally taking out the fourth wall. And uh, in the UK, Sean's show turned out to be very similar uh, afterwards, which was obviously heavily influenced by it. But it's an incredible show. But you just sent in a a script, uh, which they liked enough to sort of fly you (laughs) over to meet them, right? Which is astonishing.
1: Yeah, it was supposed to be a work session, but (laughs) Gary wasn't in the mood to work, so we ended up playing ping pong. Yeah. and uh, it was a perfect introduction to Hollywood because nothing went as planned. Um, and, but, they, uh, but it was the start of my career. And when people ask, um, you know, what should, how should I start writing for TV? I always say, pick a show that you really like, that you think suits your sense of humor. Because The Shandling Show wasn't that popular. But I sat down and wrote one because I got that humor. It was really funny to me, and there were people like Gary Shanling and Albert Brooks. Um, you know, it was Albert Brooks's movie Real Life. I don't know if people know that one in the UK. Uh, not
0: so much. I don't think. That's yeah, I've so heard you good. talk about them, and I've I've not seen it, so I must I must check it out. It's so it good, down.
1: and you'll yeah. see he's he doesn't wink at the camera. It's pure character comedy, um, and that was my favorite. As opposed to, you know, uh, someone like Woody Allen who's just cracking jokes, and I like that too. Um, you know, before he started dating his daughter, but uh, the more subtle character comedy is really, you know,
0: yeah, the best. So, but it's it was. Was that was that a bit of a mind fuck to suddenly find yourself if it had been me and Gary Shandling had been in you know, even at that stage and Gary Shandling had been interested in my script and giving you compliments, would did you take that in your stride, or were you thinking, how the how the fuck has this happened? <laughs> you I, I had this whole
1: other profession. I was a magazine writer. Sure. In fact, your your uh, your friend Tina Brown had hired me for Vanity Fair when I was in my twenties. And um I only thought of TV because I bumped into a friend who was an editor one day, and she said to me, I don't mean this as an insult, but I think you could write for TV. <laughs> and it hadn't occurred to me. I'd grown up on the East Coast. I, I um, lived in Boston and New York. And I at the time, I was like, wow, I guess people do write for TV. Um, so I like TV. <laughs> Yeah. So everything, even to this day, everything seems like gravy <laughs> to me with television.
0: Do you get starstruck though? Because I think I always did get. You know, I'd always get a little bit starstruck. I heard there was a story, I think, from the Vanity Fair party oh, yeah. you were telling about Colin Firth, who I also uh, sat. But I sat behind him at a pantomime and recognized him, but couldn't think of his name. So I was go- I was googling him, but I'm really terrified that he would look. And see, I think he might have been actually sitting next to me, and I was googling him to try and find out his name. I could remember everything he was in, and then but I, I couldn't think of his name. That's quite bad. But you had a you had a, oh, I a humiliated
1: run-in. myself in front yeah, of Colin which is enjoy
0: it's enjoyable. Tell us about that.
1: So I used to <laughs> yeah. because I had written for Vanity Fair for for a very long time. I still do. Um, I would get invited to their big Oscar parties. So you know, it was above my pay grade, but um, you know, I was basically the help. And one evening that year that Colin Firth won for the King's speech, I was actually waiting for my car at the valet when he and his all-female entourage um, came out to get their car. Now, obviously, they were not going to wait. They pulled the limo right up. But Colin Firth, ever the gentleman, opens the car door and he's letting the ladies in. And as he does it, he turns and he and I make eye contact. Like I'm having a moment with Colin Firth on the greatest night of his life. And we're just feet apart and I feel like I should say something. So I do. And what I say is, well done, Mr. Darcy. (laughs) And he just, he goes like this. (laughs) And he like shoves the last woman in and gets it and he slams the door and he, they drive off. And I was just like, what have I done? So I called my sister the next morning and I was like, I tell her that story and she goes, don't you know, he hates to be reminded of that role. And she said, he was just like interviewed for the LA times and he mentioned it. And I was like, I had no idea. I feel terrible. And my sister, who is like a great Bennett sister, says, well, don't feel bad. If he didn't like being associated with that role, he should stop playing it so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's also true. I mean, it, it, this is something that's come up. for I had Michael Palin on uh, a few oh, months oh, ago, the last the last show before lockdown, the first lockdown. Uh, and he was so delighted to re- reminisce about. You know, I thought, oh, you won't want to talk about this or that. But he started doing bits of the sketches, <laughs> and he was so happy. It made him so happy. And you kind of think there's two kind of personalities in showbiz: the people who go, ah, oh, that thing made me successful, and but now it's a it's a weight around, it's an albatross around my neck, literally for John Cleese. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've got people who kind of revel in it, which is what you should do because that is. That is why he's that. That's why he's won for the King's Speech, even though he isn't yeah. Mr. Darcy in the King's Speech for once.
1: But Richard, I, Michael Palin, you asked me a question earlier. Can I yeah. repeat it? About was there something as a child I didn't like that as yeah. an adult? I didn't appreciate Michael Palin when really? I first started watching Monty Python. I mean, I liked him, but John Cleese and Terry Gilliam yeah. were, I'm sorry, Terry Jones were much broader and funnier and then as an adult you start watching and you're like Michael Palin is brilliant in everything he and he's so good so there's there's your answer
0: yeah well that's good I'm glad that, well, that was a question for, uh, for the backstage if you become a badger and you can see the question yeah he's definitely I'm the same way you know obviously I think as a kid you're looking at John Cleese and John Cleese is the standout kind of larking funny funny walk guy and very funny so, but also, it's every single step of their career. I was watching John Cleese. He's on Cameo, which I've become quite obsessed with. Uh, where uh, Michael Ian Black's on Cameo as well. I keep making him do cameos for me because he'll do it for 78 dollars 5 dollars uh, So you, you know what Cameo is? It's where you can get a message from a celebrity. So you just say, email in and say, pay $85 or whatever. I think for John Cleese, it's $265 and he'll give you a message. But I looked at one of John Cleese's ones and he was just eating some food. He was, hey, his head was right at the bottom. And he was just eating some food. I thought this is a come down for Basil Fault, isn't it? This is this is a man who did all this amazing work. And Michael Palin is, I think, yeah, absolutely. He's my absolute. I asked him to do my dad. He accepted. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work out this Christmas. I'm going around at Christmas to see. <laughs> the social distancing is going to be a problem, but I'm and gonna... and
1: of course these celebrities they give the money to charity.
0: The, the no, no. I, not John Cleese. <laughs> I think some people do. Michael Ian back doesn't. I used done, I have done two. I'm gonna thing is I didn't pay him for being on the podcast, so I'm gonna do four. Uh, I'm gonna give him four cameos. So they'll they'll they crop up in this every day. All now right. And
1: well just buy a bunch of my books for your friends I'll send them one. It it's
0: it's so it's so good. Uh, and some of the actually some of the advice that came out, I think this was um this is just all the way through. There's these great advice, and this is this is what you got from the uh, the um, Gary Shandling show. I think this was maybe Albert Brooks said this to me. Uh, the, the three things: never be afraid to write on spec, don't ask friends for work, and take any job that comes your way. You never know where it might lead. And those are th- such good, such clever bits of advice. For a new writer, I think, yeah. don't you? Because it's, I think, so many people write to me and say, "I've written a film, and I, you know, how can I? Can you get this to someone who can make it?" And I go, "I can't get my own stuff made. I don't know why you're sending this to me, but you know, why you're starting with a film? Why you're starting? You know, it might work out for you, but but really, you know, it's exactly what you did, isn't it? You wrote on something on spec, and it led to other things, and, right,
1: right, um... and you
0: took work that you didn't necessarily wasn't your first choice, but led to other things."
1: Well, I think you never know what you're good at often till you try. And sure. and one of the other pieces of advice that I deeply believe, um, and I tell it to a lot of young women who might be afraid to take a risk or not be good at something, I say, if it's something new, like what have you got to lose if you're If you're great at it, then you just learned an incredible piece of information. And if you're not good at it, you can just say, "Hey, I never did it before. What did you expect?" (laughs) And that's that has served me well.
0: Yeah, it is. Well, it's sort of, but it's it's interesting. And uh, you know, I do having talked to a lot of people, the kind of weigh in is is often seems just. From the, from the outside, you think, could that work? Would writing a script for Gary Shandley and sending it to would that work? Or, you know, or just happen to meet someone. But uh, you know, that's more likely to work than just sitting at home going, "What do I have to do?" Who you know, or just emailing people and asking, them, "How do I, how do I get on?" You know, just be. I suppose it's being proactive. The interesting one of those a piece of advice I think is don't ask friends for work, which isn't, you know, isn't something you would implicitly put as your number two piece of advice, but it's actually a really clever piece of advice as well right well the because two it's... things
1: i want to say about that is one it, he said because your friends know if you're available and if they wanted to hire you they would yeah. um and the second thing is i think it was a message to me <laughs> like <laughs> don't ask <laughs> so it worked on a couple of
0: worked on a couple of, of levels, levels there um, but,
1: but the other thing is so i wrote this spec it sold, but then it wasn't made. And then there was a lull. I had to write another spec. And, you know, it was not like rocket ship, you know, it was start no. and stop. And I, I really believe that I just got enough positive reinforcement along the way to keep me going.
0: Sure. Yeah. But it, but I think also there was just something in you that was pushing you on to do. And I think that's, that's the main thing anyone in this business think needs is just sort of the desire to do it. So it feels to me like you would have written a Gary Shandling script for you know even if it wasn't going to be sent in, you would have written a script for The Simpsons. You would, you you got enough pleasure out of doing those jobs that even had they not been made or if they which I mean the Gary Shandling wasn't made but got you weren't paid, you were paid for it. Um, you know it would it would have been an interesting experience for you. So I think it it, it is about you know the dedication and the interest I suppose in it. Uh, i'm I, it's a book the sort of you know it, it's reassuring if you are a writer it's sort of maybe off putting if you're not a writer in the you know just you you, you you know you, it's called just the funny parts and a few hard truths about sneak, sneaking into the hollywood boys clubs is the is the subheading and it you know it is about the hard times as well and so you you give this four stages of the hollywood writer which near the beginning which is you know which which is who is Nels Cavell? Get me Nels Get me a younger Nels Who is Nels So those are the four. And what I liked was you put a warning that
1: cheaper, Nelscavel.
0: yeah, younger, cheaper. A warning that prepares you for a tragedy while doing and nothing to get prevent old it,
1: and you loop around again to yeah. who is Nels <laughs> <laughs> You're lucky. But you get So, yeah, you get so, so it's full
0: of stuff like that. It's good, but it's it's sort of reassuring. But also, I'd say that Simpson, the chapter about the Simpsons. Which again, we won't go into it now. But if you read that, it's a, if you're interested in the mechanics of how a Simpsons yeah. episode was put together in those early days and the back and forth and how it you created and you created the streetcar named Desire was a was was well, a different I didn't suggestion it, but for, yes. together the, the, in the room and then that was rejected for this episode but went on to be another very successful episode as well. And that's that. I suppose that's where I mean, The Simpsons is an interesting show, right? Because there's 200 episodes that that probably rank up with the greatest stuff ever and then there's another 200 episodes where you know it's it can't possibly keep up that level of or can it i mean it's i i I don't watch it as much as i did now but it's i'll definitely watch yours i've got them all they're all on they're all on disney plus i'm going to watch every single one from start to finish but my favorite
1: things was when i worked on warehouse 13 there was a younger writer who was in his 20s he was a story editor and we got along great, and basically he'd grown up watching The Simpsons, yeah. so his sense of humor was exactly like mine. So even though we were f- from really different backgrounds, I felt like I had kind of helped raise him.
0: Yeah, um, and- <laughs> but it's you know, but it's been for, it's around for so long that it absolutely, you know, people have grown up to it. I've I've been showing my daughter it, and you know, she 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 lo- loves certain things about it that five year old can get. Uh, so it works for the whole family and it is. And I think those early episodes, I guess it's partly that passion of the writers. I think partly just because it con- concentrates so much on that family unit. You know, it's what you liked about it when you saw it. I think it's this dysfunctional family, but it's about the love that binds them them together despite everything, but then also pushes them apart. You know, it, it, it's.
1: Well, it, it, it it's also very freeing because it's animation. So, sure. <laughs> you know, when you're. Back then, there weren't that many single-camera shows. They were these three multi-cam, three-camera shows. And you were locked into your three sets, and then you had your one swing set. Then suddenly, you get to write animation, and you know Barney's in jail, and Homer gets a flat tire, and you know, you're just all over the
0: place. Yeah. But I think those early ones worked because... Maybe it's because of that, you know, that passion where you're creating three episodes out of one episode. But also, there's just something—it's more simple. They didn't—they didn't—they you know, almost make jokes in the early episodes about we're not going off on crazy adventures. You know, this is where we introduced – There was one episode that when we, that when we introduced the crazy space character who comes in, they did lots of things where they, where they parodied other cartoons, failing to carry on. I mean, it's had such an incredible achievement to. Have <laughs> a show that's run that long, and it's such an incredible achievement to you know have two two scripts, and not be on the team. You know, you're not on the team now, but you're you no. can just whenever you want, you can just nip and go. All right, I'd love you know I would love to write an episode of The Simpsons. I'd love to write an episode of the Gary Shandling Show. That's less likely. Um, probably, probably well, not going to happen I wrote now. an
1: episode of The Critic, which nobody's right. seen. From oh, All right. Fingers. Yes.
0: But he, that was a crossover, right? The Critic turns up in one episode. Of no, The, the
1: Critic was for ABC. It was a whole oh, was different, it? Oh, different oh, was it? Okay. thing. But that was that, um, uh, it might not be as well known. Well, there was a movie about it. So my episode aired opposite Nancy Kerrigan and Tonya Harding dan- uh, skating in the Olympics. All oh, right. Against each other, and it was literally. This isn't hyperbole. The lowest-rated <laughs> prime-time show in ABC history at the time.
0: <laughs> but like, there's lots because I've been listening and to you lots can't of podcasts. You not too of...
1: invested in any of them. I
0: know, but yeah, but you pop up. At, what is just amazing, and this—that's what I think. It's sort of interesting. I think from an outside perspective, of this book, because you know, most people won't won't necessarily know your name, but they will know the stuff you've done. And you sort of pop up in the last three decades. You pop up, and you sort of—you've got a hand in nearly everything. I don't think it's in the book, but you mentioned on a podcast working with Larry David, and you came up with the the idea of him taking flowers from the roadside memorial. I
1: don't like to talk about that because it's such an evil thing to do. I know, but I it's tell a, people but... that and they just look <laughs> at me like, "Who are you? Why would you ever think of that?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's but the thing is that that um, you thought of it and didn't do it. That's the thing. So, and that's what that's the writer true. is, right? So you think of it, go, whoa. I mean, I mean if you I get in a room- do that, but <laughs> no, David would do. That. It would be funny. But like, that's what a writer's room often is, isn't it? I mean, in the writer's room, it seems to me there's ideas thrown up that you know can never, ever be said anywhere outside but the my room.
1: moment is I was the one who gave Miss Piggy her tail, was responsible wow. for us seeing Miss Piggy's tail for the first yes. time, it's canon now. There was a question <laughs> about whether Miss Piggy would have a tail or not. Yeah. She does.
0: <laughs> and what had what? How did you, why did you make that decision? Remind me because that's in the well, book.
1: I wanted to do an episode. Remember, I don't know if you know that the Janet Jackson nipple incident when she Course. had the the wardrobe malfunction. So I was working on uh, the reboot of the Muppets. And it was, a, it was a more adult show. And I thought, well, what if Miss Piggy were on the red carpet and she had a wardrobe malfunction and we saw her tail? Um, and I went to the um, main Muppet guy and I was like, well, does Miss Piggy have a tail? And he said, I, I don't know. I get, And he said, well, I guess so. And I said, have we ever seen it? And he said, no. And I said, could we see it? And he just got the biggest smile because he just all clicked in. And it's a really sweet episode because, you know, she has to um, accept that her pigginess um, and, and be okay with that.
0: Right. In the book, you say there's a quote you say about people say to you, uh, it must be so much fun working on the Muppets, and you say that's one of the great fallacies of, of Hollywood. So why was why wasn't it fun working on the Muppets, or was it fun? It sounds well, like that was say, fun. I
1: compare it to being like an Oompa Loompa in, in <laughs> uh, Willy Wonka's factory, and like every yeah. if you're an outsider, you're like it's all chocolate waterfalls, and you know if you're the in- inside, like you're sure. staying up late cleaning up after the you know the nut eating the nut cracking squirrels. So, I mean that I, uh, there were just too many Swedish chefs in the in the kitchen on that show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so,
0: well, yes, that's fair enough. We'll draw a veil over it. But um, and well, there's there's a lot more to talk about. But you've also written for. We'll maybe get onto politics in a second. But you we you've written. Why is a anything joke.
1: happening in the political? I think
0: something world. might be going. I was. I was hoping, you know, it's just fingers crossed that America would still be there when I when we connected and not in flames which is, it seems to be as we speak at least it's not. Um but so you you worked with Obama Barack Obama and wrote jokes for his for his speeches.
1: I, so, I was honored. It was uh what you know, the, never joined the army but I've done what I could for my country. Um and you know, he He's got Johnny Carson's timing. He's, sure. And he's, in fact, he did it. Someone put up a video recently and they, they compared it. He had Chris Rock's timing. Right. But maybe he's gotten a little, um, uh, you know, more savvy. But uh, he was a delight. I've written for Hillary Clinton. Right. Um, I wrote jokes for her and she was great too.
0: Cool how'd you go about when I mean, Hey, how'd you get that gig are you are you sending in jokes on spec to Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton or someone said come and come and write jokes is, there, is this through lean lean in is that is it that was the, it was
1: complicated it through? came in through Facebook um yeah. and it was just wonderful timing that I I got to write for him I mean
0: I and uh Do you get to meet him to go, or just do you send him a list of jokes, or do you get to chat with them and say, what would you like? What are you you interested in? No, I mean,
1: I did get to go to the White House and and hang out with some of the speechwriters who are just amazing. And they're, in addition to being super smart, they're actually all very, very funny, or at least in Obama's White House, they were. And they went off and did um, Pod Save America, which has become this huge, successful podcast. Uh, but you know, it's, it's so similar to TV writing. And I, I always think of like Barack Obama was the leader of the free world, but he lived with his wife, his mother-in-law and two daughters, which always felt like a sitcom to me.
0: Yeah. Well, as I was thinking, the sitcom at the moment is the uh, Melania lookalikes. At oh, the, the White House. There should, there should be five Melanias who are all sort of sitting around in the White House waiting for their turn. Well, even and their, rela- their relationship with the real Melania. That would be a good... Well, I'm the just... real
1: Melania is pretty fake, too. So.
0: <laughs> That's true. Fingers crossed Donald Trump's one so that what I can finish that sitcom. What
1: if it got to, like, the, you did a sketch <laughs> where the fake Melanias are don't remember which one's the real Melania. And they're trying (laughs) to figure it out. Maybe that's my Black Mirror episode. There we go.
0: (laughs) I think we've got it. Well, I know Charlie Brooker, but you're not allowed to pitch. If you pitch it to him, he can't use it. That's why I I pitched him one by a DM, but it was only a sort of joke one about... uh, it was like the, uh, a sex version of the Purge, where you're able to everyone's oh. allowed to go out and have sex with anyone they want, but it's about people who can't get a babysitter that night and <laughs> are <laughs> stuck in movie. the house. So they Why can't aren't
1: be... you writing that movie right now?
0: Well, because I just have the ideas, then I would write them to Jolly Brooker and he says he won't can't use them. Um, but are I you, can put. A, I we can...
1: Just go back into lockdown. You have no. We idea. do.
0: Yes, I should. I mean, I but you know, I just I'd rather just play with puppets and just things on, on Twitch. Now I'm doing. You know, I got to. I saw a thing that at 54 you lose your get up and go. Um, that's that's the study that this week on Twitter it came out. And I'm 53, but I think I was I was reading it in the bath while I was playing uh, some video game in the bath for two hours. So I think I may have I may have hit it early.
1: Kurt Vonnegut said women lose their uh, sense of humor. Really, I think he said at 30, it's so good. <laughs> I'm on borrowed time.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Kurt Vonnegut was pretty good but he's my he's my favorite
1: one. I like him. Too.
0: But then every now and again a little thing.
1: But he me. was a man of his
0: generation he was exactly he was, was are we allowed to say that about I'm a man of my generation.
1: I'm a man I have, of my I'm, generation.
0: I'm a man of my generation. So, how are you feeling? I know <laughs> I you are read the very title
1: well. Title of my next memoir: <laughs> "A Man of My Generation."
0: <laughs> well, good. We've come up with some good ideas. And how are you feeling about the situation? We're recording this on the fourth uh, of November. Uh, with we, it looks like Biden may win, but we've been there before with this sort of thing. Um, I know you were very worried about this when I said, when I even said, can you do the 4th of November? You said, you know, that's the day after election day. Um, do you think we're, do you think he's going to be okay? And do you think America's going to be okay?
1: Well, in the reality show that is Trump's presidency, I feel like we're in the series finale and it's this cliffhanger, but it's a two parter. So I think we're, <laughs> we're going to get our happy ending. Yeah. But it's, I think people wanted this landslide, this repudiation. The other side's cheating. So the way I compare it is if you were in a soccer game and the other soccer goal was half the size of yours. Yeah. And you just said, Well, okay, we'll outplay I guess we just have to outplay you. We'll let you cheat, but we'll outplay you. You know, you can at best squeak out a victory, which I think they're doing, but it's hard to beat people. Under those yeah. circumstances,
0: well, it's—I mean, it's seen, uh, both in the UK and America. The—I mean, there's an archaic this element to the political systems, I suppose, where you know, in in the UK, because it's all constituencies, and you can, you know, people are. A party will get way ahead, even though they're getting less votes. Which is sort of what's happening. Donald Trump didn't get as many votes as Hillary. Biden's got more votes than anyone's had in history at the moment. <laughs> we're up to, so it's it it feels like things need to change. But they see. I don't. Do you think? Do you think there's going to be a change, or is it just going to keep on going? It's sort of rolling the other way, and will there be a reaction to that? It's Putin's
1: world; we just live in it.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's... well, I'm glad things are okay for, for the moment. Uh, I'm glad you're, yeah. you're still up and running. So, you got an episode of The Simpsons coming up. Is there anything else in the in the pipeline that you can talk about, or is it?
1: No, I'm developing a see? show with someone for Netflix, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and I just wrote a new spec. I, you know, I, I always say the day I can't sit down and write a new spec is the day I'm done with hollywood so it's still fun for me
0: and are you writing more the sort of 60 minute slots now rather than the third to the sort of sitcoms it moved into more of the longer shows or are you still well i've still kind of gone that, back so have you
1: sitcoms had gotten really short because there were so many commercials when i started a sitcom was 26 minutes and change today they're 22 minutes 21 yeah. minutes once you have your title sequences and I really felt that limited your stories but if you go to Netflix they're half hours sure and so you 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 know just as a percentage of time you can really develop your characters and do your twists that are fun
0: sure sure although I just I'm so impressed with some of those American series because in the UK I think like the shortest I've had to write is like 24 25 but in, like something like Rick and Morty, which is the thing I'm obsessed with for the, for the last few years, but anything Dan, Har- Dan Harmon's doing, he seems to get so much so much into those 22, 23 minutes. Sometimes you kind of think when you go back to, you go, how the hell was that one episode? There's so much in there. Um, but talking of sci-fi, uh, I, did, I did want to ask you about your uh, X-Files. You, you you wrote an episode of the X-Files. And this is a, this is a good story to end on because it's a story of failure. Which uh, is, the, is the is the fate of the writer? Even though we've we've got we've covered most of your successes, I think. But uh, well, I was a big happened...
1: fan of the X Files, and they invited me to pitch ideas for a freelance episode. Um, I, I pitched to Chris Carter; he really liked one of my ideas. I developed it. They hired me to write it. I wrote a very detailed outline. I turned it in, um, didn't hear back, which was a little weird. Then my phone rings, it's Chris Carter, and he tells me um, I have bad news. We just decided to give the one remaining freelance slot uh, to someone else. And I was just taken aback. And then he explained Stephen King had contacted them and asked them to write uh, a script, and so it's pretty hard to be upset about getting replaced by Stephen King. I mean, if, yeah. you're, if you're a writer and you're replaced by <laughs> anyone, you you would want it to be by the most successful writer. He's
0: done enough, though, hasn't he? He's got enough stuff. He's, everything's basically a short story. Every film is a short story by Stephen King, it turns out, more or less. So it's, well, it's a shame. I mean, he's the st-
1: kicker of the story is it turned out to be one of the most hated episodes of all time. <laughs> and, uh, uh, It was not, no one was happy with how it turned out, including uh, Stephen King.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We were obsessed with that, uh, with the X Files again early, early on. And we took, when we toured, I was in a double act and we toured in a van and it had a video player in it, which we just couldn't believe. It was a little sort of minivan and had a video player. And we bought the first series of The Simpsons, of the uh, X Files, sorry. And uh, we, Every episode, we would just sing all the way through the through the title music. The X Files is on now. The and then when it was finished, we were saying the X Files is over. And that's my main memory of the X Files. That and Eugene Toomes. Uh, those are my two the memories cigarette of the X Files. You
1: remember yeah. everybody? Oh, remembers. I
0: remember him. And Gillian Anderson was lovely in it. And the guy was a Mulder was okay too. And then they did that song Mulder and Scully. That was good, too. Uh, Right. You know, I I I
1: always wanted the scene. I always wanted them was to get called back to the home office and get screamed at for their cell phone bills (laughs) because they were always on their cell phones. And it was back in the day when that was really expensive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this isn't important. You just invade the aliens. Don't exist. Stop wasting all our money.
1: Is costing us a fortune. <laughs> better find those aliens.
0: <laughs> well, look, it's been an absolute d- delight to meet you, Nell. Um, I'm a huge fan, and uh, there's so much more we could talk about, but I'm going to let you get back to your political situation and your afternoon in New York. Um, thanks so much. My wife sends her best. My wife loves you as well. Oh and she, wants to, she wants you to be on her podcast as well. but I Is she
1: on Twitter? Can I follow her? She's
0: on Twitter. Yeah, she's called Katie Wilkins, I think. Katie on Wilkins? Twitter. Wait, Katie Wilkins. Look out for her. She does a podcast called Drunk Women Solving Crime, but you don't have to drink to go on it. You could go on it. I think you'd be oh, okay. very good on it. Um, I will
1: follow her. Oh, so and can I say, my, uh, if you want to follow me, um, yes. Nell Sco, so N-E-L-L-S-C-O. Um, Do Twitter. you regret
0: that decision to miss the V-E-double-L the e off the end now? I... Or t-
1: so what's weird is I was on Twitter. I was harassed. It was early on. Oh no. I left. And when I came back, someone else had taken my name. So...
0: There can't be another one. That's just that's a well, super I fan. I wrote
1: to them and I said, what's going on? And they were like, I was holding it for you. And I was like, I, I don't want to deal with you. <laughs> I
0: don't um... want to touch it now. <laughs> now you've been holding it. I don't want it anymore. You can you can keep it. Yeah. I'll just take the bell off. Uh, very well, worth following this for comedy and for politics. Uh, and do buy just the funny parts, which looks a bit weird on the screen because I've got a green screen behind me, now. you don't know what's behind me. Oh, um, you can't you can't see it. Oh, I and mean, maybe you can see the green screen. Uh, so do buy this book. I absolutely it's absolutely. I haven't read many books this year, and it might even been last year. I read this one, uh, but it's the best one. This is the best book the year. You. Look, you've got it too. And then also there's this one, which doesn't go to the screen
1: either. If I looked in a mirror, and it'd be infinity. Anyway, thank you for Brilliant. having me, Richard. Thanks so
0: much for doing it. Uh, we're back next week with Arthur Matthew, who wrote, Matthews, who wrote uh, Father Ted. And we've got another writer. It's going to be fantastic. Father Ted, Toast of London, uh, has a new book out as well. So we're going to see him next week. Thank you very much. Watch Ali and Herring's Twitch of Fun tomorrow <laughs> at uh, 7.30 on this same channel. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Rahul with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Nell Scavelle. Thank you to Pest. They do the music. I don't know if I've ever told you that before, but I'm very much indebted to them, as I am to my producer and friend, Chris Evans, not that one. Um, I would also like to thank everyone at ACAST, everyone at British Comedy Guy, Ian Tunes, uh, Ian Apple... Ian Twitch, or the usual suspects, this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStrike.com production. Why not head to GoFasterStrike.com, you can buy the uh, book Problem With Men and get a special book plate with a penis drawn on it and my signature, plus uh, it's November the 19th badge, it's got everything you could ever want for a book. Uh, uh, the audiobook of The Problem With Men is great as well. Uh, and also gofasterstrike.com slash badgers become roughly badger or look through gofasterstrike.com to see all the DVDs and downloads and books you can buy from them by me and other lovely fantastic all right see you later kids see you on the flip side